Welcome in to another episode of Real Pod Wednesdays here in the final week of February. Going to talk uh, both Ohio State and basketball and football again on this week's show. Uh, as we talked about last week, a really big game for Ohio State on Sunday against Michigan. Did not go the Buckeyes way as Michigan won that game uh, 92 to 87. But, uh, you know, as we talked about last week, I think that was a really big game uh, to kind of gauge where Ohio State is at. So uh, we want to talk about that. Uh, we will get to some football talk uh, later in the show. Uh, Going to talk about uh, the second year Buckeyes and kind of what we're expecting from uh, those returning members of the class of 2020. So uh, for those of you who uh, listen for football talk, uh, we are going to get to that, but do want to start with basketball because not really any uh, football news uh, per se for us to discuss on, on this week's episode. And uh, certainly, you know, this basketball team uh, has been, you know, the big story in, in Ohio state sports here uh, with the run that they've been making and, you know, coming out of Sunday's game, you know, certainly I think uh, some some definite issues on display that we're going to talk about and um, some things that I think this team has got to fix up uh, if it's going to uh, be a Final Four national championship contender uh, here in March. But I also didn't come out of Sunday's game feeling like, you know, I, I didn't come out of this game feeling bad about Ohio State because it was a very competitive game really until the final few minutes of the game when it started to slip away uh, from Ohio State. Other than that, it was a very back-and-forth game, a game that Ohio State could have won. And, you know, I, I still come out of this game feeling like Ohio State is one of the best teams in the country. I feel like Michigan is better. I feel like there's definitely a gap between that top three of Gonzaga, Baylor, and Michigan and where Ohio State is at. But I still feel like Ohio State's, you know, right in the thick of this thing for being a potential Final Four team. And that game was awesome. That game was unbelievable. I couldn't believe – that one, I, I I mean, I was lucky enough to actually be there. I I can't imagine what that building would have been like if fans were in there. I mean, that would that to me, like I think that it was I, I built it as college basketball perfection coming in. When you think about all the stakes that are on the line, uh, when you think about um, the fact that these two schools are rivals and this is their only opportunity uh, in the regular season to face each other. I there was so much juice in that building and yet there still weren't any fans and and i think that that part of it sucked but outside of that the game was also college basketball perfection i mean it was up and down there was a ridiculous shot making on display from ohio state and obviously michigan i mean in the first half they're making 10 of 13 threes hunter dickinson was was causing problems in the middle but yeah i i agree with with your general point which is you know, I'm not I'm certainly not coming out of this game just because it's a loss thinking that Ohio State's on a on a different playing field than 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 other teams like Ohio State. If you look at the end of the game, like I don't know how we start anywhere other than the just suing turnover when he decided to go behind the back for for whatever reason. Um, if that doesn't happen, I mean, Ohio State was down three at the time. Uh, Ohio State certainly could have scored right there to either tie it up or pull within one. Instead, that happens. All of a sudden, they're down six, and Michigan scores every single time they have the ball. The rest of the the rest of the game, and it's like, well, you know, that was sort of predictable based on how that game had gone. But I think that that has to give you. I think that the game, on one hand, it gives you hope because as an Ohio State fan, you just watched a team in, in Ohio State go blow for blow with with what now many people are wondering is it whether whether Michigan's on that Gonzaga 
Baylor level. On the other hand, like, sure, like there are some issues on this team that that are that are a little bit daunting and and specifically the defense. But but I but at the same time, like this is still a team with those defensive issues that has beat Iowa, that has beat Illinois and that almost came close to beating Michigan. Um, so there, there, there's still a lot to like about this team. And, and I think that this is a really fun team to cover and it's a fun team to watch. In regards to those defensive issues, we've seen it now. In three of the last five games, the Buckeyes have allowed 80-plus points. Uh, they're currently 86 in defensive efficiency, according to Ken Palm. Why are the Buckeyes struggling this much on the defensive end, and, and do you think they can fix it? Dan, isn't this perfect? Like, aren't, this, is like, this is like veteran Ohio State media talk right here in that there's so much that's gone right this season, but we have to start with the bad defense. Like this is this is we, well, we, this we, is like it's like football season all over again. This is a team that's got an elite offense, but their defense is not keeping pace. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's true. Um, I'm also just like generally not surprised. Like I think that there might have been a little bit of hope uh, recently in, in Ohio whether Ohio State was getting a little bit better defensively, but a lot of that also was just due to who they were playing. I mean, when you're playing Michigan State, Maryland, and Indiana your numbers might look a little bit better than when you're playing a, a Michigan. Um, and even that Penn state game when Penn state put up 82, I mean, that's, I mean, it's not like Penn state is, is a great offense there. Um, that was not a great sign. And, and I think that leading into the Michigan game, it probably wasn't a surprise, but, but the one thing I would say is like, when we're talking about this defense um, and, and, and its issues, like if I were to just say, Dan, like they have Dwayne Washington, Justin Arns, Justice Suing, EJ Liddell and Kyle Young in the starting lineup. Like how many of those guys are plus defenders in your mind? Two. Maybe? Yeah. Like I mean, max, like Kyle I, Young and EJ Liddell. Like, yeah. I think, it, yeah. I mean, I, I think Dwayne Washington and, and Justin Arns are guys who are absolutely on the floor because of their offense and not their defense. Yeah. And Justice Sewing's rated like one of the, the lowest rated. I mean, I think he's, I, I looked it up beforehand. You know, he's one of the, if you're going based on solely off, points per possession by opponents you know he's in the bottom you know 20 percent nationally um and he and seth towns are, are the worst in that statistic in the uh, among ohio state players um but the interesting thing to me um is i don't 100 percent know where they get better and i feel like to i feel like this ohio state team sort of at this point in the year maybe is what it is a little bit and you can get better on the margins. Um, and I certainly think that, that that's one of the, that that's one of the things that Chris Holman's talked about the, the, the details and, 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 you know, on defense, it, it, there, there are certain areas where you look at what Dwayne Washington and Justin Arns and CJ Walker um, and justice suing can do. And it, it just feels like those are the kind of guys who, who have to play better, but at the same time, there is, there's a maximum of, of what you can expect from them defensively. And this is just a team that's just going to have to outscore people. I mean, whether it's the eighties, the nineties, I don't know what it's going to be, but they're not built to, to defend very well. And, and also if you're talking about defending Michigan, I mean, how are you going to defend Michigan? Um, the, the way that this roster is constructed. Um, it's a really tough ask. I mean, you don't have that, that center in the post is going to be able to take, to take on Hunter Dickinson one-on-one. And now also at the same time, like if you're going to throw help, Michigan has great shooters surrounding him. So I think that that's the tough thing when it comes to defending a, a team like Michigan. And, and that's why to me, like we can talk a lot about this defense, but at the end of the day, sort of similar to, to how I viewed the, the football season actually is like, 
they're just going to end up having to outscore people. And, it, and it's going to come down to how, how much offense they can bring on a consistent night in night out basis. Yeah. I thought it was a telling quote from Holtman on Sunday. I'll read it. He said, I don't think this team necessarily has the potential to be elite defensively. I do think we need to get better. You know, that's an admission right there from Holtman, that this is not a team that that's suddenly going to, you know, hold a really good team to 65 points. Like it's just, it, it, his team is not built to do that. And so, you know, you're absolutely right. And this is a team that, you know, they're going to have to be firing on all cylinders offensively to have a chance uh, to win these kind of big, big games. We've seen it. They've done it a lot already. I mean, we, we've seen, you know, we saw it in the Iowa game where, you know, again, that was a game where they did not do much on defense, but their offense was just so good that it, they were able to, uh, you know, beat Iowa, but, but they, they, I do think they have to get better. I don't, I think that's undeniable that, you know, they have to get better again, just like football, uh, the defense had to be better to, to beat Alabama. It, it wasn't. So I think it's the same thing here when we're talking about oh, so Ohio state basketball team is if you're going to beat the really, really good teams in, in, in March, in, now that you're in this home stretch of a season, you are going to have to find a way to get better, you know? And to me, like, from what I've seen, and I'm, you know, I'm kind of an amateur basketball analyst here, but you know, when it, when, when it, when it, when I look at the defense, I mean, for one, I think the obvious point like you made with, with Michigan is, you know, certainly the lack of size is becoming a problem for this team. I think, yeah, I think Chris Holtman has downplayed it at times, uh, but I think you saw it, you know, especially in a second half bat Michigan game, I think Hunter Dickinson really started to take the game over. And, you know, that's just what happens when, you've got a really talented seven foot one center and you don't have anybody playing on your team. Uh, that's taller than six, eight. And, you know, I don't really know how you fix that. I mean, you can't, you know, un- unless Ibrahim Diallo comes back from injury and suddenly becomes a player that we have not seen him be at any point yet in his Ohio state career, I would not bank on that at this point, since he hasn't played in months, you're, you're going to have to play with that, lesser size so just on that point Colin is there anything that you look at as a way that they can mitigate that size differential they're going to have to deal with no (laughs) I don't think there are any great answers I mean that's that's a tough thing is I think that they they make that concession and say you know like we we like playing a a front court of EJ Liddell at six seven and Kyle Young at six eight they really like that. And I do think Chris Holtman's made a correct point several times where he says, you know, they want to be able to take advantage of other teams that, that maybe have that kind of slow footed center. Um, and, and whether that's getting EJ Liddell or, or Kyle Young moving a little bit or pulling them out on, on offense to the three point line. Like, I think that that's true. And I think that they're able to do that. And I think that they've done a great job, honestly, of taking advantages, taking advantage of, of defenses in that way. Um, the other side of that is on defense. I just don't think there are many great answers, um, especially if you have a if you have a really talented center who's really big like Hunter Dickinson and and have him surrounded by shooters. Like that's the thing that's just really tough. And and I think that the you know one thing I'd point out is like Ohio State had done pretty well defensive rebounding throughout the season, um, and that wasn't that wasn't totally the case. Um, over the weekend on Sunday, I know Michigan had, had 10 offensive rebounds. There's that one possession late in the second half, or I think it was, they got three offensive rebounds on one possession. Like that to me is an area that Ohio state has to shore up. Um, because if you're looking at individual positional defenders, like I think that justice suing Justin Arns, um, 
and Dwayne Washington, like those are, those are negatives. Um, and, and, and I think that Kyle Young and, and EJ Liddell are, are solid at what they are, but they're also, they're also going to face on, they're going to be undersized at, at times. And that's just, that's just a reality of what they are. So they have to be, a, they have to be a good rebounding team. They have to make smart plays. And like at the end of the game, like if this is a team that's so reliant on offense, like just assume can't make that play. Like you can't turn the ball over in that key moment if you're so reliant on offense, because guess what? Like you might not be able to stop them again for the rest of the game. Like that's exactly what happened. And you're not going to, you're not going to be able to give those kind of points away late and, and come back. And I think that that's the, that's the challenging part of this team. If you're going to make a, a um, if you're going to look long-term at how, how far can this team get um, in, in the tournament and what, what can this team really do when they're in the big 10 tournament deep in it? I think that, I think that my question is, is mainly, you know, can they consistently string together awesome offensive performances that allow them um, to make up for the fact that their defense is going to be generally subpar? Um, and I think that I think that's just a lot of pressure on one end of the court. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the other thing that stands out to me defensively is, and I just don't think the perimeter defense has been that good. Like, there's a lot of talk about the lack of size, and that's a hard thing to overcome. But you know, they're giving up a lot of wide open freeze and it's it's it granted it's hard to beat a team that's shooting the ball as well as Michigan did uh, on Sunday but a lot of those frees were guys that are just being left wide open a lot of those frees are or you know a guy is late to shift over on a rotation and, and and a shooter is just left unguarded so you know I feel like that's more fixable than the fact that they're just not that tall and so mm-hmm. I you know like you said I mean I think it's tough you know, with some of the guys they have out there, I, I think they're just not built to be elite defensive players. I did think they legitimately missed Musa Jallo on Sunday because he's one of their better def- defensive players. Now he's not a great offensive player, which is why he doesn't play a ton. But I, I did think he was a guy that I looked at and said, "This is a guy who could have helped him in this game." Because uh, there, there were there were definitely times that they were really struggling on the defensive side of the ball, and I think you know, being able to get him in there for some minutes maybe could have helped uh, stop the bleeding a little bit. But I think that's one thing you've really got to work on. Because I do think, I don't I don't think it's fixable to the point of you're, you're going to become an elite defensive team. I think that's clear at this point. But I, I do think it, it should be fixable that if you execute a little better on the defensive end, you're not going to be giving up as many open frees as you are right now. And I think that's got to change if you're going to have a chance uh, to make a deep run in the tournament. And that's where, you know, I'll just point out, it, it, it's unfair to point out one guy in particular, because I think there are several guys, you know, who who didn't have their best game against Michigan, especially defensively. You know, even Dwayne Washington, who had 30 points, you know, he, he gave up his fair share on the other end of the court. But I will say, like, if you're going to play Justice suing 35 minutes, he can't be a minus defensively, a minus on the boards, and also have six points. I mean, that, that to me is just something that can't happen. And that's, uh, I think consistency has been an issue with him throughout the season. Like every once in a while, he looks really, really good. And he looks really physical. You know, Chris Holman has mentioned him as, you know, when in the off season, when they test out as, as athletes, he tests out as Ohio State's best athlete. And you don't really see him use that athleticism on display in games very often. Like I would never have guessed that before Chris Holman had said that, to be quite honest. Um, so I think he's, he's really the guy. He's really the guy who I look to where if he was a little bit more, more efficient offensively, if he didn't have that late turnover, if he 
crash the glass a little bit uh, more physically. Like, obviously, you can't say that the game would have swung because um, I have no idea what would have happened on, on on one or two different plays if things went differently. But but he's a guy who, you know, Ohio State has, has been playing 10-11 man rotations. They weren't doing that on Sunday. And if they're not going to be doing that going forward, and if he's going to be playing 35 minutes at night, you can't have that kind of performance from him again. Yeah, I think that's fair because, I mean, I think – you know, you wrote about it after the you know Indiana game a few games ago and how, you know, Archie Miller made the point that like he made the difference in the game with mm-hmm. the way that he played. And I think they do need him to be that kind of player in, in these big games. And I, you know, I agree. I think he, I think at times you see it like this is a guy who can be a star player for this team, but you're not seeing it consistently. And, you know, I think like, you know, like I said, we don't, we don't want to be all negative about this Ohio State basketball team because I think they are, really good. And I think they're also still very much exceeding expectations at this point. So like one thing I look at, I look at it as like, as a positive, certainly is the fact that, you know, I think EJ Liddell and Dwayne Washington have really established themselves as, you know, the top two scorers on this team as guys who are re- being reliably productive on offense game in and game out. They're both over 15 points Per game at this point. And I think that's a, a big thing for this team. Cause I think we went into this season and even kind of going through much of a season is like, who's the guy that they can really rely on. And I think those two guys have become that at the same time. I also feel like at times this team maybe gets a little too much credit for this idea of like, they're so deep and everybody and everybody can can score and have a big night because I, I do feel like, especially as we've gotten later in the season, that those two guys are more and more carrying the load for this team. And I do think they need a little more out of some of these other guys, like a like a Justice Suing. You know, a Seth Towns is a guy. I don't know health-wise what exactly he can be, but I still or think defense-wise. <laughs> Well, yeah, correct. But I still think that's a guy that I was expecting a little bit more out of at this point in the year because we started seeing some flashes. And I think I think the knee is a big reason why he, he hasn't really been able to take it to another level. But, you know, I still think you, you get into this march like you, know, you, you could use a little more out of these guys. You know, I think C.J. Walker is a guy that I think is as he come back and he's gotten a little healthier. I do think they've gotten. Uh, more out of him than they were getting early in the year. So I think that's a positive, but I, I still, I still feel like, you know, for as much credit as they've gotten for their depth. And I think that it's certainly a strength of this team. It still feels to me like, you know, a lot of it's coming from EJ and Dwayne and they might need a little bit more or at least a little bit more consistency from some of these other guys, if they're really going to win in this home stretch of a season. Yeah, I think it's tough because, you know, some of these guys like like I'm not sure what they could have done to get Justin Arnes going a little a little bit more. I mean, he missed both three pointers. One, I'm not sure if it was a true air ball. It might have touched something, but I mean it looked like an air ball to me from where I was sitting. Um they're blanket like defenses are blanketing him. Um, and they're putting centers on Kyle Young and making it difficult for him. So I think, you know, those are two guys who maybe Ohio State has been able to get a little bit more from defensively, but or offensively, but they just weren't they they weren't able to match up wise on 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 Sunday and that's where I do look at Justice Suing um, and again and, and it, like you don't there are other guys who didn't play particularly well 
Um, but I do think it comes back to if you're going to play him 35 minutes game, you're right. Like maybe they can get stuff from other guys, but Justice Sewing was also out there for 35 minutes and scored six points. Now, I want to make sure, and when I'm making this point though, to say like, it's hard to be critical of this offense. Like if like I get what you're saying where 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 you might want a little bit more from some other guys like a Seth Towns. At the same time, as I was just interested in this um the other day, if you look back in the two decades of Ken Palm data, which goes back through the Chris Holman era through the entire Thad Mata era. I mean, this is including the the Greg Oden teams, this is including the Jared Sullinger teams, all of them. There's never been a more efficient offense than this one. And it has Dwayne Washington and EJ Liddell out front, and then a bunch of other guys who you're not 100% sure who's showing up every night. And I think that that is an, it's an unbelievable coaching job. And also, as the, as the year goes on, like you said, EJ and Dwayne, what they're doing right now is, is unbelievable. And those are the kind of, these are the kind of performances that you need from them uh, when March rolls around, um, especially Dwayne, I would say. I mean, you need guards like him to, to, to go crazy when the, when, when the postseason comes. And I think that what, you, what we've seen both from him on, from the outside, I think he's, he's 11 for 19 from three in the past three games. And also he was seven for eight from two against Michigan, which I thought was maybe the biggest sign of, of growth from Dwayne Washington that we've seen in a while because he's struggled from two throughout the season. I think he was at 37% from two coming into the game. And that's just not an area of strength for him. Um, but, you know, where he is right now and where EJ is right now, they can they can power one of the most efficient offenses in college basketball. And that, to me, is the reason why, as we sit here today on Tuesday, like they're still the number four team in the country even after that loss. Yeah, and it, yeah, I mean, and you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, I'm nitpicking here what I'm saying about, you know, other guys could do more. You're talking about an offense that's currently ranked third in the the country in offensive efficiency, according to, to Ken Palm. I mean, they've proven that they can, you know, really score a lot of points and in a very efficient way, uh, game in and game out. So uh, certainly, you know, it, we're nitpicking here. I, like you said, I think we're conditioned to do that because of talking about the football team. And that tends to be the way those conversations go uh, when we talk about Ohio state football. But yes, I mean, this is still a, a really good team. They're still the number four team, which I, I agree with that they should be. You know, I think I think that was a right move by the voters to keep them at number four after that Michigan loss. Now, granted, there's still a tough stretch to go here the rest of this regular season, but it's going to determine whether Ohio State ends up holding on to that four spot. You know, and I think, like, to me, it's like the way I look at it now, it's like, you know, that's probably the ceiling for this team. Like, I think Gonzaga, Baylor, and Michigan – They've separated themselves from the pack at this point. Unless one of those teams collapses here in the next two and a half weeks, those are going to be your top three seeds in the NCAA tournament. So to me, Ohio State is fighting to hang on to that fourth number one seed. And I think if Selection Sunday was today, I think Ohio State would get that fourth one seed. Uh, but, you know, certainly, you know, you look at Illinois is right there. Ohio State plays Illinois in its regular season finale that's going to be a, a huge game that could potentially, depending on how things go, could swing who ends up getting that final one seed. I don't think it's that simple because uh, you've still got a Big Ten tournament coming up after that too. And uh, both of those teams still have, you know, other big games here coming up. And, and certainly for Ohio State, you know, you go on the road to Michigan State on Thursday. That's a game Ohio State should win. But 
I think we've seen Tom Izzo's teams do enough over a year that you're not going to just chalk that up as an easy W for the Buckeyes. And then you've got Iowa at home on Sunday. And we saw Ohio State beat Iowa once this year. But again, that was a very competitive back and forth, high scoring kind of game. I certainly think we expect the same kind of game on on Sunday. And, you know, you look at these three games, you know, if Ohio State goes free and oh in these games, they're going to be in, in great shape going into the Big Ten tournament for, for getting that fourth one seed. But there's no guarantee that Ohio State wins any of these games. Yeah, it's 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 a really tough stretch. I mean, they they 100% should beat Michigan State the same time. Like, it, it's it's never a great feeling when the team you should beat is coached by Tom Izzo, <laughs> because like you're on like you have to you have to think that you're as an Ohio State fan like you gotta feel confident. Uh, at the same time, like they just beat Indiana, they beat Penn State not too long ago. Ohio State's had trouble with Penn State. You know they're they're a little bit dangerous, but but obviously at the end of the season, the Iowa and, and Illinois games are tough. And to me, they're almost like 50-50 games. Like it's it's so difficult to predict what an Iowa Ohio State game will look like when an Iowa Ohio State game almost could swing in the way that, that that the Ohio State Michigan game swung, where it's like I don't know, one guy could just make a dumb turnover late and nobody else can stop anybody else, and all of a sudden that swings the game. Like I, I think that that game's so so difficult to predict. I would be come. I would be incredibly impressed if they could sweep Illinois in the regular season based on what they've done. Um, that to me is the game that I've. It's not like I've circled it because I was had circled the Michigan game, the Iowa games before that. But I'm 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 completely fascinated to see what will happen in that Illinois game. Um, and and I will say, from a Brad Underwood perspective, if you have to end the year at Michigan and then at Ohio State and then go to the Big Ten tournament, that sort of sucks. Do you think Ohio State's ultimately going to be able to do enough to get that one seed? Yeah, I think a reasonable finish. Like I think what you can reasonably hope for is, you know, I I think asking for the sweep of the regular season and then to roll to you know the Big Ten championship, like that's asking for a lot. Even of this team, I think. Um, I think the tough thing to to figure out about this team is like they've played so many tight games. They they were they're so reliant on their offense. That it's really, it's really like that Iowa game in particular is just really hard to predict. And and, and Illinois has figured out a way to get it rolling in a way that um, that makes them really dangerous. I think that I think you can expect to beat either one of Illinois um, or Iowa. I think you can probably it's you can probably your expectation can probably be finish the season at least two and one. Um, I obviously you want to go three and zero. Oh. They beat all three of these teams, so I think that you, they can go three and zero. But those are some tough games at the end of the year. Um, and to be quite honest, like in the Big Ten tournament, like a lot of it just comes down to matchups, um, and it's really it's really tough to predict right now how they would finish. But uh, if they beat Illinois and lose to Iowa and beat Michigan State, you know I'd feel pretty good about where they sit as a potential number one seed in the NCAA tournament, um, which I think is important this year because it means that you avoid Gonzaga, Baylor, and Michigan probably and until the final four. Um, but it's, it's really hard right now. I think it's really hard to predict what you get from this team because as we were sitting here like two months ago and it's like, I don't really know how good this team is. Like they have to get a lot better. And now we sit here in late February and it's like, should we expect them to beat Michigan state, Iowa and Illinois consecutively and like roll to a number one seed. Like that's, that still feels like we're asking a lot from this group. Um, but they're super talented. They have one of the best offenses that Ohio state has ever seen 
Um, and it's probably time to stop doubting what they can do. Um, so I certainly can see them running the table, but I might not predict it as we sit here today just because the schedule is difficult. Yeah, to me, like that's where I'm at. I, I feel like two and one is what I predict. I'm not necessarily predicting who they're going to beat and, and who they're going to lose to. Does my, my feeling is the Iowa-Illinois games, one way or another, they split those. And then – most likely you're going to play at least one of those teams again in the big 10 tournament. So, you know, to me, I, I get my feeling would be if, if you, you know, if, if you can go two and one here in this final stretch, and if you can get to the final of the big 10 tournament, cause that probably means you beat Illinois in, in the semifinals. Like if you could do that, you're probably in good shape uh, for a one seed. If, if not, I'm not, I'm not sure, but you know, I, I think, you know, I mean, certainly I think Ohio state would really like to get another shot at, at Michigan in the big 10 tournament. And I think that would probably come uh, in, in the final, unless they, you know, lose multiple games here down the stretch and, and fall down to the, the four seed. But um, you know, I think certainly you'd love to get another shot at Michigan in the big 10 tournament and, and beat Michigan. And if they could do that, that would be a huge resume booster in terms of the chances of, of getting that one seed. But, you know, I think, you know, re- realistically, I think if, you know, if they could go two and one and they could, you know, win a couple of games in the Big Ten tournament, you know, that would still give Ohio State a good shot. We got a couple of questions about, about basketball. OSU loses the number to the number three seed late in the season and their odds of winning a title somehow increased from 12 to one to 11 to one. Just how just how drastically different is the paradigm? Which, by the way, it's it's big word season here at Eleven Warriors. Love the word paradigm. Um, how di- how drastically different is the paradigm between the regular seasons of, of college football and college basketball? In college football, we're in tears, which is honestly, I think that's probably the best way to put it. Is it not? Yeah, I I, I like this question because it's something like I've thought about it a little bit recently that like i i almost feel like ohio state fans can have more fun during basketball season because i think the the expectations for football are so impossibly high that it's very rare it seems for ohio state fans to like actually be happy with how football season's going because it's just such a expectation of perfection all the time and it's it people are so you know laser focused on if one thing's going wrong, they're not going to be good enough to win a national championship. And I think, you know, for basketball, there's a a little bit more of like, Hey, like this team's really good. This is fun. Like the expectations aren't, aren't quite as high, but it allows people uh, to enjoy the successes a little bit more. So, you know, I think that's part of it. And then, you know, it's like you, like you said, I mean, it's, it's, you know, like one of the reasons why I'm an advocate of the eight team playoff, for college football is because I think it actually would make things more enjoyable for an Ohio state fan because one loss wouldn't be viewed as the end of the world, the, the way it is right now. So I think, you know, that's kind of a thing about, you know, college basketball is, you know, you, you, you know, unless you're Gonzaga or Baylor right now, it's like losses are going to happen. Like you kind of expect some losses to happen it doesn't necessarily a a loss in a regular season doesn't have to 
uh, derail everything. So, you know, I think, you know, that's definitely reflected in the fact that, you know, Ohio State's odds are pretty much unchanged uh, as a result of that Michigan, Michigan loss. And I mean, you know, part of that, part of the reason why they didn't go down is because, well, you know, it's not like their odds were all that high to begin with. So it's not people already thought Michigan was more of a championship contender than Ohio State. So that didn't change. But it's also, you, you know, it, it's just one game in, in the grand scheme of things. And it's not, you know, if you lose to Michigan in your last game of a regular season in, in football, chances are good that's going to have a real impact on, you know, what you have a chance to do in the postseason. But, you know, in basketball, it, it doesn't necessarily have that impact. I mean, it certainly would have been great to beat Michigan because, you know, Ohio State might be ranked number three in the country right now. And I think Ohio State would have a much uh, bigger cushion to hold on to that one seed if, if it had beaten Michigan. But it's also, you know, if Ohio State was the number four team in the country before that, it hasn't really changed that. And and that's just because, you know, one game in college basketball un, until you get to March, obviously just doesn't matter the same extent that it does in football. Yeah. It's, you know, I'll, I'll add one more thing to that. And I think it's this specific team is like really fun to watch too. Like it, it's, it's, it, it makes losing to Michigan is never palatable for an Ohio state fan understandably so but when you get to watch a game as good as that game when you get to watch this team that clearly enjoys playing together uh, when you get to watch a team that is so fun offensively uh, it it makes the season more fun and I think that for a lot of people this has been one of the most enjoyable Ohio State basketball teams that they've seen in a while Um, and I think it's you know they're really good and they're really fun like this is sort of the perfect perfect mix is for, for Ohio State folks it's fun to watch teams that score a lot of points. Yeah, I know. Shocking. Deep analysis. But I agree. Um, Seattleinga, and we can we can run through this real quick because we already answered it. Name the one weakness this, this basketball team has right now and how do we fix it? And that is general defense. And the yeah. answer is they don't really. They just have to outscore people and, and, and win a little bit more around the margins defensively. You know, they've got to find a way to make a, a few more defensive stops here and there, and they've got to be really, really efficient on offense if they're if they're going to be able to win big games like this. You know, it's going to, you know, I think we're going to see more of these kind of games here probably in the next couple of weeks of two teams that can both score a lot of points. And, you know, Ohio State, I mean, the good thing about Ohio State, like you said, is, I mean, I think Ohio State knows who it is. Ohio State knows that it's a team that's got to score a lot of points to win. And I think Ohio State is clearly built to, to win that way. It's just, you have to, you, you have very little margin for error when you play that way. And, and Chris Holtman said that too, is, you know, if you, if you have an off night where shots aren't falling, you know, I mean, I think, I think or that's you turn it over late. Right. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I mean, obviously, you know, the justice suing turnover was bad, but I also like, I don't want to harp on that so much because I think it was one thing that happened in a game that's not necessarily a predictor of future things to come in future games. I agree, but at the same time, my the point with bringing up the justice suing turnover is that you can't do that knowing the fact that you're not going to stop them the rest of the game, and if that happens, you're not that surprised, um, which is exactly what happened. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, you know, the, the the fear for this team would be 
it, if you have a night where you're just not hitting shots, you know, I think this is a team that has, I, I do think this is a team that has final four potential. I also think just cause of the way it's built, like this is a team that, you know, let's say it's the second round of the NCAA tournament and you have a night where shots aren't falling. Like this is a team that could get upset too. You know, I mean, I, I think, you know, I, I think this team, you know, I would bet on this team making a good run of the NCAA tournament, like at least an elite eight run in the tournament right now. I, I have that kind of confidence in this team, but I, I do think when, you know, you're a team that plays the way they do, uh, you, you've got to continue to be as consistent on offense as you've been all year long, or uh, you're, you're going to be uh, susceptible uh, to an upset here down the stretch. We'll run through this real quick. We can do these rapid fire. Grand Theft Harley asks, how will Ohio State do in the Big Ten tournament? So just quickly make your prediction as we sit here February 23rd that we are going to be beholden to for the rest of time. You predict that they will get how far in the Big Ten tournament? I'm going to say they will lose in the final of the Big Ten tournament. I'm going to predict that they lose in the semifinal uh, because I think they'll face two good opponents um, before they get to Michigan in the final, even though everybody will want that game to happen. Next question, where and how high will they be seated in the NCAA tournament? Right now I'll say yes, but I wouldn't put – yes, they'll be a one seed, but I wouldn't put money on that. I'm saying they're a two seed. I'm glad that in these questions I am defined as the hater. Um, (laughs) And finally, how deep do they go in the NCAA tournament? Well, he asked, how deep are shooty hoops Buckeyes go in in the tourney? I'm going to stick with Elite Eight for now. Um, I I think they're a good enough team. I think they should get to the Elite Eight. I'm not going to put Final Four past this team, but I'm going to say Elite Eight. I'm going to say Elite Eight. I'm I'm still not quite there on this team being Final Four team. I am... I went back and forth between Final Four, Elite Eight, um, and I settled on Elite Eight. So I guess I really am the hater here. But I think they're really good. I think they're really good. I just think that the lack of um, known commodities on defense make this a pretty volatile group. Um, And when you're going to shorten the rotation, when you're going to have Dwayne Washington putting up 18 shots in a game, that leads to the possibility that Dwayne Washington goes four for 18. Or, you know, Justice Suing has another off night. Or maybe E.J. Liddell just gets really frustrated early in a game in a tough matchup and doesn't really have it. And I think that um, I think there's a little bit too much volatility for me to sit here on February 23rd and pick them to go to the Final Four. But I can see it happening. I think we'll see a lot of a lot, we'll, we'll learn a lot more about this team because they're going to face a lot more uh, several more good teams before they get to the NCAA tournament. But right now, I'll go Elite Eight. Well. Definitely going to have more basketball talk to come here on Real Pod Wednesday. So hopefully you enjoy that because, like you said, uh, another two big games uh, coming up uh, this week. So we'll certainly talk uh, more about that on next week's show. But I do want to shift gears and, and talk about football now for the, the second half of, of this show. And, you know, I thought this week we would talk about uh, the second year class of Buckeyes, the Buckeyes from the recruiting class uh, of 2020, because we've talked a little bit about the new class of freshmen. We talked about them a couple of weeks ago and, you know, it, it's kind of funny with like with this class, like I almost feel like 
this class of 2020, I almost feel like they are still freshmen because we saw most of them played so little last season because of the fact that Ohio state only played eight games and they didn't have those non-conference games. And I mean, really they actually kind of are still freshmen because last year didn't count as a year of eligibility for anybody. I'm still not sure whether we're supposed to call these guys freshmen or sophomores, but beyond that point, I just feel like most of these guys, there's, there's still so much unknown here. I feel like none of these guys are known commodities at this point yet. I also feel like there's a lot of really talented players in this class and a lot of guys I'm really intrigued to see play this season. All right. The number one guy who you feel like you didn't learn a single thing about in the past year, despite him actually being a freshman at Ohio state, who you're going to be interested to see this fall is who I'll go with a guy who literally didn't play at all, but I'm really interested to watch is, is court Williams. If he can get healthy and, and get back on the field. Cause he was a guy that, I mean, Ryan day was hyping him up at the start of fall camp last year saying he's a guy to keep an eye on. And I thought he was a guy who was really going to, have a role and, and play somewhere. And, and we've talked about, you know, this, the pass defense needs to get better. Uh, the linebackers need to get better. We're not sure if he's a safety, if he's a linebacker, if he's a, a combination of both, but he's a guy, you know, hopefully he'll make a full recovery by, you know, summer and he'll be able to play this fall. And, and I'm really interested to see what he can bring to the table for Ohio state's defense. He's fascinating. I mean, you got that linebacker body with safety speed. I mean, it's, it's not that hard to be interested in him. Um, to be honest, like he's almost my number one guy too, but I'll pick someone else because I think, I mean, it's the guy who I sitting here today, I feel like I'm a moron because I cover the team and I don't know a thing about Cody Simon. I really don't. I feel completely inept to discuss Cody Simon, but I want to know more about Cody Simon because like, I think he could potentially even start. I think we're definitely going to see him play. I don't know exactly what his role is, but we didn't see a ton of him um, just based on how the schedule played out. Cody Simon was almost my answer to this question. I was going to bring him up later uh, because I think he's absolutely a guy we need to talk about. And I think he's a guy that really isn't being talked about right now, but should be because I think you're right that I think starting is not out of a question here. Now, granted, we could say that. And we said this about Taraja Mitchell two years ago, and he could sit on the bench for the next two years. Uh, before we really see him play. We'll, we'll see what happens. But I, I do think Cody Simon's a guy that is probably the guy in this class right now that is probably the most under-discussed guy in this class because it's a top 100 prospect. You know, he vaped very little on defense, but he did play in every game on special teams last year, which if you look at recent history in Ohio State, typically, especially at a position like linebacker, they want a guy to play a lot on special teams first, before he plays on defense and typically a guy who gets on the field early in a consistent role on special teams, that's usually a precursor to, to then playing a bigger role in whatever his regular position is, you know, the next year of a year after. So I think Cody Simon is definitely, you know, a player to watch. Uh, would I predict him as a starter right now? No, but I do think that's far from out of a question. I think he's a guy that, uh, they're very high on, you know, he's probably going to play one of those, you know, two inside linebacker spots where I think, you know, Taraja Mitchell and Dallas Gann are probably going to start right now. But I, I do think he's a guy that, that is probably being slept on uh, more than he should be. And I'm really intrigued to see what kind of role he's able to play for that Ohio state defense this season. So you wrote about all of these guys. Were there any, was there anyone who you were like, 
holy crap, like I sort of forgot about this guy and he might actually have a decent role on this team. I think there's always like guys that like they get hyped up so much coming in and then like even even after a year, like if they don't play that much, they can kind of get forgot about. Like, you know, G Scott's another guy who was a top 100 prospect, but I feel like isn't really being talked about much anymore. And it's hard because they've got so much talent at wide receiver that, you know, it's still not clear like what his role is going to be going into this year. But, you know, I think he's a guy that he gets on a field like he has the potential to be an impact player. Like he, he's a guy that, you know, I think is really intriguing in that regard and what kind of player he can become. And the big question is just going to be, you know, with all this other talent around him, is he going to be, you know, one of the guys that's in the rotation this year. And, you know, I remember, you know, a guy like Ty Hamilton, he was talked up a lot going into last season. And I think you, you were right about this actually, where I kind of thought he was going to have a, a fairly significant role and you, you threw cold water on that, but you know, freshmen really don't play much on Larry Johnson defensive line. And, you know, you, you weren't really buying that he was going to play anything more than, than late game snaps. And, you were right about that, but like, that's a guy I'm intrigued by is, you know, are we going to see, you know, the fact that he, you know, made that kind of impression in practice last year, is that going to lead to a bigger role here in year two, especially when you consider that they've got, you know, some really big shoes to fill there at defensive tackle with Tommy Togi, I go into the NFL. He was actually the guy I was sort of thinking about because I had like, he had a little bit of preseason hype. Like people were talking him up as, as someone who, you know, I think the real thing about him was he was better than he was ranked. Like he was ranked 762nd in the country out of Pickerington and central. And I think it became pretty clear that they didn't view him as that. Um, and, you know, he came in behind Darian Henry young and Jacoby Cowan, who I think a lot of people expected that, he would just naturally be behind them because he was low ranked as a recruit. And to be quite honest, like generally that is what happens. Like that's why people expect that. Um, but even off the bat, uh, it seemed pretty evident that, that he's not a guy who we're going to have to wait till his fourth or fifth year until we see anything. And I don't, I'm not expecting him to start, but you could convince me that he's going to win a rotation spot for uh, at one of the defensive tackle um, spots. I mean, that's a place where Larry Johnson likes to have three guys at both nose tackle and three technique. And with the outgoing guys, like there, there are, there, there are opportunities on the defensive line for him. And I absolutely believe he's ahead of those other two guys you named mm-hmm. right now. And I'm not yeah. saying those guys won't be good players down the line, but you know, truthfully, I think with the amount of guys they have coming back on the defensive line, if Darian Henry Young or Jacoby Cowan played more than, uh, you know, very occasional snaps this year, I'd be surprised. Was there any guy who you don't expect anything to see them play really any meaningful snaps, but you think that the first time they're on the field, you're going to be sort of fascinated to just see what they are. So I've got a guy, I've got a guy in mind if, if, if you don't. Yeah. I think the guy that comes to mind for me would be legend Cavazos because you know, he, he didn't play at all last year. He, he was dealing with an injury uh, for the start of a season and that kind of kept him from ever getting to play. And, you know, I, I don't, you know, I think he's going to be one of those guys because he hasn't played and because people are intrigued by him, that people are going to talk up as a, you know, a guy who could play a lot at corner this year because of the issues they had there. And my guess is that's not going to happen this year. I think 
Ryan Watts would be a more likely guy to do that in this class just because he has gotten some playing time. But uh, Cavazos is still a guy that I'm intrigued by, a guy that you, know, you look at his like athletic profile. I'm intrigued by the kind of player that he can become. I, I, I'd still be surprised if we see him play a lot this year, but I'm going to be intrigued when he does finally get some of those snaps and he gets on the field. I'm going to be intrigued to see how he looks and and you know if you see the makings of a guy who can be an impact player for Ohio State in the future. Yeah, he's he's a good one. I I, I would pick two other guys too who, you know, they're they're these three guys like you mentioned, legend. These three guys are basically all ranked right around the exact same. They're between three hundred twenty three and three hundred fifty two, and those two guys to me are Cam Martinez and Mitchell Melton. I mean, they're to me they're a little bit different in that. We didn't really hear anything about Cam Martinez as a freshman. Like it came in, he came in as they were talking about, you know, they plan to use him as a, on both offense and defense. That really didn't materialize. I think that part of that was due to the fact that the pandemic wasn't going to allow that. Also part of that was probably due to the fact that that probably wasn't going to happen that much in general. Um, And I'm sure that they would have given it a whirl, um, maybe more so than, than in, a, in a normal year than they did in a year where they're playing during a pandemic. Um, but we didn't hear a lot about him. So whenever he gets onto the field, whenever he can finally adjust to to cornerback, whether he's at cornerback or nickelback, you know, he's a guy who's going to be interesting. The, the other guy, though, like I said, that we didn't hear a lot of people talking about Cam Martinez. We sort of heard people talking about Mitchell Melton. And he came up as, as a guy who people, it seems, within the program think he's being looked over a little bit. Um, and I think he and Cody Simon are probably both that because when we talk about the next in line at a lot of positions, like, you know, we're talking about Julian Fleming, we're talking about Jason Smith and Jigba, CJ Stroud or Paris Johnson, some of these higher rated guys as you know, like they might be the starters next. And I don't think anyone really thinks that about Mitchell Milton, which is why all the talk last year centered around the Taraja Mitchell, Dallas Gant, Kayvon Pope kind of guys. And even still, you know, there's Craig Young, Tommy Eichenberg, there are others at the position Nobody says Mitchell Melton's name even more so than Cody Simon. Um, and and he's the kind of guy who I don't really know what to expect from. Yeah, we were actually asked specifically about Mitchell Melton uh, by MMP15F. He said, you know, what are your thoughts, expectations regarding him? And do you see him at Sam Will or potentially moving to defensive end? He asks because his high school highlights showed him playing as a, a stand-up pass rusher. I, I mean, I, everything I've heard is he's going to be a linebacker at, at Ohio state. You know, I, I, I think, you know, right now you look at the depth they've got it at defensive end. I, I don't think that move would make sense. I think they need him more at linebacker than they do at, at defensive end right now, where exactly he's going to factor in, in terms of position that I'm really not sure just because uh, we, we haven't, you know, he hasn't played at all yet. You know, I mean, you know, could he be a fit for that Sam role? I mean, that might depend on what he's able to do in coverage because uh, coverage is a, is an important responsibility uh, for that position. But you no, know, I do think he's an intriguing player. I mean, I think you know all all of those guys. You know, Cavazos and Martinez and Melton. Those are all guys. You know what I think? I am. I'm intrigued to see what they do in 2021. You know, in in those late game situations, I, I don't see any of them playing major roles this year. But I do think they're guys that, you know, if you look ahead to, you know, 2022, I wouldn't be surprised if these are guys who emerge and end up playing bigger roles. I think next year, the key for guys like that is going to be, 
getting them whatever reps you can on defense and earning more significant roles on special teams. And also for those guys, like staying ahead of the incoming freshmen, because mm-hmm. a lot of them don't have the kind of end game experience that most returning second years do just because of the way that the schedule played out and there weren't a ton of blowouts and there were fewer games than ever before. Um, so there are a lot of guys in this freshman class who have exactly as much experience outside of practices as the incoming freshman. Yeah, that's a really interesting point because you know, we've talked about a lot with the quarterbacks with you know, the fact that C.J. Stroud and Jack Miller don't have that advantage that they might have after a normal year over Kyle McCord just because they didn't really get to play much. But, you know, that's true all over the place. You know, does, does G. Scott really have an advantage over uh, Mecca Buka and Jaden Boward and, and Marvin Harrison Jr.? You know, to, you know, again, does Ryan Watts and Legend Cavazos have an advantage over uh, Kalen Johnson or uh, Jordan Hancock? You know, you know, does a uh, does a Cody Simon have an advantage over a, a Reed Carrico? I mean, I think they're different players, so that might not be uh, the best example. But, you know, I, I think that's, you know, very true of it. Like the fact that these guys didn't get to play as much as they would have last year. You know, I look at a few guys, you know, you've got your your Julian Fleming, your Jackson Smith and Jigba, Lathan Ransom, Paris Johnson. You know, those are the guys that played enough last year where you feel like, okay, they've started to establish a foothold for themselves. I'll be really surprised if those guys aren't playing significant roles in 2021. But I feel like everybody else is still very much, you know, at square one here, still just trying to earn their way onto the field. And when you combine all the talent in that class with all the guys coming in, it's going to make some for some really interesting competition not just this year, but over the next few years to see which guys emerge out of those classes and who ultimately gets left behind. Maybe none more so than Mayan Williams versus Trayvon Henderson, Evan Pryor, the guys who are rated infinitely higher than him on the recruiting trail. But listen, there's nobody who's more fun to watch run than Mayan Williams. Yeah, no, that's going to be, that's going to be a really intriguing competition one of the ones that i think if if we get to watch anything this spring i think that's certainly going to be one of the areas uh where my eye is going toward just to see you know how how those guys look and who, who's getting reps because i mean that just from top to bottom uh you know all six guys in that room if you also include master teague and marcus crowley and steel chambers that's just a, a fascinating position right now where i think there's about 15 different ways uh, the depth chart could stack up and it wouldn't necessarily shock me. Last week, we both talked up Paris Johnson as a guy that, you know, we expect big things from and and we expect to make a big impact uh, here in 2021. Who else in this class, like who would be the next guy in, in this class that you're really confident is going to make a big impact for Ohio State in 2021? I mean, the obvious, the like you said, Paris Johnson's the guy, CJ Stroud's the guy. Um, and outside of them, like I imagine Julian Fleming, Jackson Smith, and Jigba, also um, Court Williams and Lathan Ransom. Those are the four guys who I look to and say, I could see these guys playing starter roles on this team. And it's a little interesting because, you know, we haven't really seen, we saw flashes from Julian Fleming. We saw that one great catch from Jetson Smith and Jigba. We didn't see anything from Court Williams. 
it was pretty evident that Lathan Ransom really impressed the coaches as a true freshman. So I think that they're all in a little bit different situations, but I think those guys to me have risen above um, the others. And and I don't think they're on the starting quarterback Paris Johnson level yet. Um, but I think they're, I think they're in the vicinity. We're talking about for literally all these guys, we're talking all potential here because yep. none of all them are, do. none of them are proven at this point. I mean, even, even, but you know, Jackson Smith and Jigba played the most out of these guys last year. He's still a guy that I'm really optimistic about for his Ohio state career, but you know, it's still, it's all potential. It's all taking those few flashes that we've seen and then ca- taking that to the level of being a consistent football player. And with all of these guys, it's all just projection, but you know, I think the guy that really does pop to mind for me is Lathan Ransom. I, I was impressed by what I saw from him down the stretch of last season, even in a bad pass defense and a bad secondary. I thought, you know, in the role that he played, I thought he was impressive. And I don't know exactly what his role is going to be in 2021, but I do think one way or another, it's going to be a significant role. And I'm really intrigued to see what kind of player he can become in that role. Cause I, you know, Ohio state needs some stars to emerge in that secondary. And, and, you know, it feels like projecting, but I still think there's definitely the potential there for him to really become one of the stars of that secondary in 2021. I agree. I agree. I think that, you know, versatility is going to be the key to this group and he has that as much as anybody else. Question time question time we have i think we have three more questions um two of them we got to think back in time but we'll we will look to the future for for the first one that is mmp 15f asks do you think dron cage starts a nose tackle next season i think your answer is probably yes and i think my answer is probably no correct um he he he's he did say you know i kind of expect cage and antoine jackson to split reps pretty evenly and I agree with that. I, I think either way, I, I think it's going to be a rotation. I, I don't see this being, I see it being more of a Devon Hamilton, Robert Lander situation than I see it being a Tommy Togi situation from last year. And that I think regardless of who starts between those two, if one of those guys starts playing 75% of the snaps, uh, that would surprise me. I think it is going to be more of a split between those guys. And like we said before, I think even a Ty Hamilton is a guy that I could see breaking in or maybe even a Tyleek Williams, depending on how he does this off season. If one of those guys were to also mix in for some snaps as the third guy, kind of like we saw from Tommy Togiai a couple years ago, that wouldn't surprise me either. Yeah. I think, I think it's going to be a cage Jackson duo there. And like, I just think that's perfectly fine. Like you're not going to, it's not going to win you national championship. I don't think that's going to lose you national championship. I think you're going to be fine. And there's a chance that one of them's really good. Uh, yeah. I'd say cage. Um, I thought he had a better season than Antoine Jackson last year, but that matters less than what they have this offseason. And that's the thing that's impossible to predict. Yeah. And you know, he made the point that Cage got the start against Bama rather than mm-hmm. Jackson. And I do think that's noteworthy. I also think it's noteworthy that Jackson had a lot more production in that game than Cage did and actually ended up playing more snaps than Cage did, even though Cage started. So that's why I'm leaning Jackson. Collins leaning Cage. We both think they're going to play. I think we both think they're going to be solid. I don't think we either of us expects either of them to be a superstar. But, hey, we didn't expect that with Devon Hamilton two years ago either. So if one of those two guys can really make that, you know, 
fifth year or sixth year leap for Jackson, whatever you want to call it. If one of those guys can really make that last year leap for Ohio State, that would be a huge bonus for the defensive line. Next question from Minbuck. List your top five favorite non-superstar Buckeyes during the Urban Meyer-Ryan Day era. Also, if Kenny Guyton is not on each of your lists, we have problems. <laughs> well, we'll have, I'll have Kenny Guyton on my list, then, because I don't, I don't want to have problems with you, uh, Minbuck. Um, you know, I don't know that I really have a list of guys. Uh, do you have a, a list written out of guys, or just mm-hmm. kind of some guys in your mind? I, I wrote a list. Are you kidding me? I saw this question. That was my first thing. I was thinking if, if I got caught off guard, I would probably just start making up names. Um, <laughs> and I didn't want to have to do and that. See if the fans know that you're making up names. Yeah. Yeah. So I do have a list. I say we draft it. Okay. Just a quick rapid fire draft. Uh, since do you have okay. a good first pick? You can, you can take the first pick, I guess. But, but my, my biggest question though, is what exactly is the definition of a non-superstar Buckeye? It's up to you. This whole question is okay. up to you. Okay. Because also, what's your definition of favorite? Like favorite right. to watch, favorite. I, I don't know. It's all it's all up to interpretation. I, I also want to know if, if I'm allowed to draft a basketball player or if Ooh. we have to uh, go all football. I'll allow it. I the beholder. I mean, this okay. is this is how you see the question. I hadn't even considered that. Um, but I enjoy that. Dan. Since you're already thinking outside of the box, I want to give you the first pick. We're not doing snake draft, just you, then me, then you, then me, back and forth. All right, well, I'm just going to I'm just gonna roll with that right off the bat then because my when I think favorite non-superstar Buckeye, regardless of sport, without a doubt, the guy who comes to mind for me is Amadeo De La Val. And <laughs> he was far from a superstar at Ohio State, but just a guy who did not look like he belonged – on a college basketball team just did not have that typical look of a college basketball player. And he was not great at Ohio state, but you know, he was a fun character, you know, and he's actually, and my understanding is he's actually had a lot of success, you know, back in his native Italy, uh, you know, playing professional ball overseas. That didn't quite translate the way that people thought it would at Ohio state, but you know, him with the goggles and, you know, always doing, you know, the free when he, with his fingers whenever he got a free. Um, he's, he's one of my all-time favorites. It's a great pick. He was off the board for me. Um, I will say I cover the basketball team right now. I, I thoroughly enjoy watching them. I don't think I ever tune in to, to any of his games, but now that he's your number one guy, I feel like I really missed out. You did. That's on me. Um, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't 100% sure where I was going to go with this one. I think I'm just going to go B.B. Landers. That's it's a like great, this. That's it's a like a, it's it's just a classic. I mean, he's a, it's a safe pick. No, there's nobody in the world who has ever watched an Ohio State game, heard him talk anything, been around BB Landers and said, you know, I, I don't really like that guy. Not really feeling that guy. He's a joy to be around. You know, he's a joy to talk to. Um, he is fun to watch because he definitely was smaller than just about every single person he ever went up against at the at the collegiate level, and it's unfortunate that we haven't really seen him get a shot in the NFL. So hopefully he gets that, but um, he is, he is just, he's just fun. He's just fun. Uh, all right, Ben, for the, the, the next pick um, again, I, I don't know. Again, definition of a non-superstar Buckeye Tell you. Uh, is variable, but I'm going to go with Justin Hilliard. Uh, just, you know, he's his, definitely his, not a superstar. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean his, you know, his, you know, trajectory journey that he had is, 
you know, a six year guy to, you know, overcome, you know, all, all the injuries that he had and, you know, then to, you know, really break out there at the end of his career and, you know, play the way he did down the stretch. Um, you know, I thought that was a, a really cool story and somebody who I've always, you know, really enjoyed talking to as well. So I'll go Justin Hilliard. It's a great pick. Um, I'm going to follow that up with someone who's maybe not, um, you know, I don't think I don't think people in Ohio State at, at Ohio State really think about him that much anymore. But I always there's no there's maybe nobody who I enjoyed an interview session more than Jalen Holmes. Um, so I think Jalen Holmes is that guy because Jalen Holmes is really funny. He'll say whatever he's thinking. Um, he's he's huge. <laughs> he's he is uh, he's a great athlete. Um, he can play defensive end, play defensive tackle. He's always fun to watch. Jalen Holmes is my second pick. That's a good. That's a good pick. I I, I like that pick. Third pick, I'm gonna go. I'll go. I'll go with Evan Spencer uh, as a guy. You know, a guy who you know was again not a superstar, but was just kind of one of those always. You know, a, a glue guy. You know, on on those teams. You know, made some really big plays uh, in that. You know, 2014 national championship season. You know, another guy who's you know always a pleasure to talk to. Uh, you know, great interview. Uh, great guy. So, you know, he's a guy that really comes to mind for me. So I'll go Evan Spencer. I think that's a good pick. I am going to waste no more time. You know, this is one of those guys, he felt like he was sliding a little bit. I was really worried you were going to take him. I have to go Cam Johnston. Give me an Aussie punter in the third round. This is an absolute steal. I thought I thought I was going to be able to wait on my wait on my punter there. I no do, chance. I do, I do. I do like that pick. That's a that's a good choice. All right, number number four. I don't want any problems with Minbuck, so I'm going to go ahead and take <laughs> Kenny G, the jazz, jazz man, right here uh, with this pick because you know he's definitely uh, one of the more you know fun stories uh, I think in uh, recent Ohio State uh, memory to you know have the kind of performances he did, you know, coming off the bench and and becoming a captain, and now he's the the wide receivers coach at Arkansas, so. Uh, kind of a, a cool uh, journey for him, but, you know, going from being, you know, a really successful backup quarterback at Ohio state to now, uh, you know, seemingly being a rising star in the coaching industry. Yeah. You don't want no problems from men, Buck. I think that, I think he did us both a favor by selecting him. Um, I just realized after the fourth pick that I'm going to make is I think that I just want to be in a room with funny people. Cause when I go Jalen Holmes, Robert Landers, Cam Johnson, I'm now going to go Tyvis Bell. Can't wait any longer. That's a good. That's a good choice. The host of No Cap, our other one of our other podcasts here, exactly at a, at Eleven Warriors. That's a that's a great choice. I, um, I you know I haven't talked to him in a while, but I remember I interviewed him for a story I did on Jeff Halfley. It was just like a 15 minute interview. I don't think I've laughed so hard during an interview ever before. And there's not like one thing that I can point to. And it was like it was because he said this. It was just because he was being himself. There's nobody who's just naturally funny more than Tyvek. I'm going to stick right with the 11 Warriors uh, part-time host trend here, and I'm going to make my last pick, Joshua Perry, because uh, you know, Joshua is another guy. Uh, again, I mean, not a superstar at Ohio State, but really productive player uh, at, o- at Ohio State, and another guy who's you know an absolute pleasure to talk to. You know, I always learn something uh, when, when I talk to him. Was definitely uh, one of the best interviews on the team. Uh, back when he was on the team, and now we've seen that you know translate into his own career in the media. That dude had way more tackles than uh, you really think when you look yeah. back at the stats. 
Like, a lot. He, he was a machine back then. Um, I wasn't 100% sure where I wanted to go with my last pick. There were several guys I was considering. Um, you know, I think I think Johnny Dixon was one of them. Um, his story and the fact that he even made it to an NFL roster is just sort of incredible. Uh, I think Brandon Bowen was one. Uh, Dante Booker was a personal one because I played against him in high school and he eliminated me. So I was always interested to see what he would do. And Paris Campbell also was on that team, but I I think he's too close to being a superstar. So I can't pick him. So I'm going to go with Tyquan Lewis because Tyquan Lewis, I'm, he was the Big Ten defensive lineman of the year, and I swear he wasn't a superstar. This is another one where it's eye of the beholder. I don't think he was ever a superstar. People thought he was good. People thought he was really good. No one ever said, like, oh, that guy is a star. You cannot block Taekwon Lewis. Uh, he was really, really good, and he was just a good guy to be around. Like, he was a fun guy to talk to. He was, you know, he was really well-respected within the program. Um Tyler Friday is called what was called baby Taekwon when, when he stepped on campus. And that is like, you want to be called baby Taekwon. That is not, that is not an insult. Baby Taekwon is a great nickname for, for someone like him. Yeah. To me, I was thinking the big 10 defensive lineman of the year would be above the threshold, but I'll yes. allow it. Cause like, like one guy, like who would have been on my list, like before he became the best player on the Washington football team would have been Terry McLaurin. But the fact that he has done what he's done in the NFL, in my mind, took him out of that non-superstar. Yeah, category. it's it's tough because, like, I don't think either Taekwon or Terry McLaurin were superstars. And Taekwon certainly isn't a superstar in the NFL. So I was just thinking that Nick Bosa level. And, he like, I didn't pick Paris Campbell because of that. I mean, Paris Campbell is, is one of the others that I always enjoyed, you know, watching and talking to as well. But, yeah, it's it's up to – Yeah, I was thinking up. more, like, guys who didn't go on to, like, do a lot in the NFL. Now, granted, Justin Hilliard might, but he has he hasn't done it yet. So that's to me made him an allowable choice. All right. Well, I I enjoyed that question. We have one more question. Another blast in the past. This is up your alley, Dan. There's no one who likes walk-ons more than you. From Ziploc 007, who is the most impactful slash favorite walk-on besides CJ Saunders? Yeah, well, CJ is definitely a good one. I mean, if you know, if we're going to talk, you know, most impactful Buckeyes, like for football, like, I mean, I think like, you know, the first guy that comes to mind for me is probably, you know, Joe Berger, because he's another guy who was a team captain. Uh, Craig Fade is another guy as well. You know, they played at the same time, you know, both those guys who are, you know, linebackers who became, you know, really core players on, on special teams for some of those Urban Meyer teams. Uh, when they were walk-ons, you know, I think, you know, like I think back to like Zach Turnier was another guy who, you know, played a lot on special teams uh, a couple years ago, even played a little bit as a, as a linebacker, as a fullback. Um, he, you know, he, he's a guy uh, that comes to mind, you know, there's, you know, there, you know, there's, there's a couple guys there like right now that are like interesting, like a Mitch Rossi's a guy that like, I'm intrigued to see like how much he plays this upcoming season because he played a little bit this past year. And with, Luke Farrell and, and Jake Hausman gone. Uh, I'm, I'm interested to see, you know, what kind of role he's going to have at that uh, tight end room uh, next year. You know, I think, you know, I'd probably look at, you know, Jeremy Ruckert and, and Kate Stover being the top two guys there, but I think Rossi's a guy who could have a little bit of a role. So I'm intrigued uh, to see how that goes for him. Now, if we're going to go across sports, I feel like there's an obvious answer there. Yeah. Is that, and that was the guy I was going to, say and like it has to be mark titus yeah i don't know how it's not mark titus mark titus is the legend 
I mean, the way he's trending, he's going to be one of the one of the main voices of college basketball analysts in the country. Yeah, I mean, how many people did you see wearing club trill shirts like during his career at Ohio State? Like, this is a guy who was a walk on. He who like he he really transcended it to become like a nationally known name. So yeah, I don't uh, know if I was in middle school or high school, but I remember I read his book. I thought it was awesome because I I remember getting to Ohio State like as a freshman and like wasn't somebody who like, especially Ohio state basketball. Like I didn't really follow Ohio state basketball that much until I got on campus. And I'm like, I remember getting on campus and like, why are there so many people wearing club trill shirts? And then I, I learned quickly about uh, the legend of Mark Titus and uh, read, I did, I did read his book, a very, very funny book and I'm not a big book reader. So the fact that I made it through his book, uh, tells you that he he's a, a he's a talented writer, a very talented guy, and you know I kind of I kind of look at uh, you know Joey Lane as kind of like the second coming of him in terms of you know in the, in the Chris Holtman era as a guy who's also you know very entertaining guy and you know he's got his podcast now too and you know I think he's another guy who uh, really resonated with the fans at Ohio State. Yeah, if you actually like dig into it, like there are a lot of walk-ons that have amazing stories about how they became walk-ons, like Jansen Davidson on Ohio State um, right now, Ohio State basketball. Like he was, he's a walk-on because Ohio State's head coach Chris Holtman and assistant coach Ryan Peden went to go watch the club team play a game, and they're like, "Oh, you know, we need a walk-on. How about that guy?" Yeah, and that's happened some of football too. Like uh, Chris Booker, who played a lot on special teams this past year, was an example of that. Uh, Elijah Goins was another guy a few years ago who uh, went from the club team to to playing some on uh, the uh, varsity football team. So uh, always cool when you see stories like that of, you know, guys who, you know, might think they're, you know, are not going to be able to play at that Division One football level. And then uh, the stars align and they're able to get that opportunity. And nobody who loves it more than Dan Hope. I do. I do enjoy seeing walk-ons succeed. You know, I think it's always it's always fun to see that, you know, I think at a school like Ohio State where we talk so much about uh, five stars and, and, and all of that. I, I always enjoy uh, kind of seeing those underdog stories uh, come come to life. And, uh, you know, it's hard. It's, it's harder to do at a school like Ohio State than it is at, you know, a school that might not have as many uh, superstar recruits. But uh, there have been some and I'm sure there will uh, continue to be. Well, I guess that should be a wrap. We went pretty long on this one. Yeah. Well, thanks everybody for listening in. Uh, You know, hope you enjoyed both the basketball and the football talk this week, and uh, we'll be back with more next week. So uh, thanks again uh, for listening in and we'll talk to you again soon.